0: Welcome to the by the hood podcast before we start this episode. Could you do me a favor? Could you rate and subscribe to our podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, Google podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also, could you subscribe to our YouTube channel? That's at youtube.com slash by the hood. What's up people? Welcome to this episode of the By The Hood podcast or webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy and as we start off every show, that's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to all of our supporters, all the brothers and sisters who share all the work that we do. Special uh, shout out to all the students of By the Hood University. That is growing. I mean, it's amazing. We got like, you know, uh, people coming in on a daily basis learning about precious metals, stocks, options, the whole nine. And we're just having amazing conversations with people that look like us. I mean, we literally had a webinar this past week where it was over 80 plus people. Special shout out to uh the Black Day trader, Leslie, because um she she brought a lot of energy with bringing her team aboard and we're just growing like crazy. So I want to say thank you to everybody because we definitely uh, appreciate it. And we start every show off with gratitude. I got my brother Corey in the building with me. Corey, what's good?
1: Nothing man, every day above ground is a good day. You know how I feel about that, man. Yeah,
0: so let's let's go get it. Yes, sir, yes, sir. And as you know, our platform is designed to highlight brothers and sisters who are doing amazing work in the community. Um, we have a legend on with us, man. This this brother is a legend in the finance game, man. And, and you know, it's always good to uh have someone that you look up to on the show and, and someone who's doing positive work that looks just like you because representation does matter, man. So without further ado, I want to uh bring on the brother Charles Tink Harris how are you sir yeah
2: Yo, it's love i i first and foremost you know i thank god that i woke up this morning you know cuz we we all weren't promised that and 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 i'm here and blessings and peace to you brothers for having me on the on the show today also i just want to say before we even get into things what you do just moves me so you know it's a it's a a, a mutual love society here because i don't want to come across like the, the people who are a little lighter in skin tone than us when they say, oh, you speak so well, you do this, because we <laughs> find that to be a little insulting and a little condescending. But what I will say is we not only are all brothers, we all got a little girth and size to us. And I think there's always that stereotypical first sight thing where they say, oh, that's a big dummy or a big black guy or whatever. And mm-hmm. then just be able to watch you cats come across the way you do, not just the way you actually Speak and your cadence, but just the knowledge. Like I have worked in the financial services industry for the longest of times, and I feel more comfortable and more on par when I'm talking to you cats than most of the people I talk to in the industry. So kudos for that.
0: Oh man, I appreciate you saying that. Those those words are um, uh, you know um, they they they're very powerful coming from you. So I want to say thank yeah. you for saying that first and foremost. Definitely
1: appreciate that.
0: Yeah, yeah. But listen, we want to highlight you. That's what our platform is designed to do because we understand that um, you know, working in this space a lot of people don't know um, that we have brothers and sisters going to work every day, doing positive work, good work who are building businesses and are very successful. So, um in terms of your background, like could you tell our audience like you a little bit about where you're from?
2: No, no doubt. So I'm born and raised in Philly. I'm not gonna hit you with the Will Smith. But yes, in West Philadelphia, I was born and raised. (laughs) And um, I wasn't in school. So I didn't get near the playground. You know, uh, (laughs) I was running the streets too often as a youth. But the reality is, is that coming up in the the West, Southwest Philly, we actually were nomads. So I lived all over Philly. And I tell people it took me 13 schools to do my 12 grades. And in the end, I didn't graduate from my last school. I ended up dropping out of John Bartram and going off to college uh, the next year. But that's a whole sorted another story. What the uh, my background is as a financial services professional. I attended the mighty Temple University. That's where I have my bachelor's of business administration and finance from. And I made some great relationships that serve me to this day at Temple. One of those relationships is my best friend. And he called me earlier. I got to hit him back. Uh, Trey Johnson, he played football at Temple with me. And he went on to the NFL. I went on to graduate school. And he gave me a call one day, said, hey, man, drop out of grad school come help me manage my money. And I did. He actually got the brochure. He found everything. And I started working in the brokerage industry as a stockbroker with Smith Barney. I want to say it was November 24th, 1997. If I could date myself and let you cats know the gray beard is well earned.
0: (laughs) You know, that's, that's, that's interesting. Me and Corey were having a conversation yesterday and, and I was telling him, I said, you know, relationships are their own form of currency, right? Right relationships that to me at least are are more powerful than money at times like if you have uh you know the right relationships and connections you can get things done sometimes without even having the revenue so your story um you know him giving you that call i guess that kind of changed your life and put you on a different path right
2: one hundred percent. And I, I, I tell him all the time because he we have. That's my guy. And he's one of the, the most brilliant men that I know. He graduated from Temple in four and a half years with with a bachelor's and a master's. Wow. And, you know, we have a lot of deep conversations when, when we get together, or when we're on the phone. And one of the things that we have is when we talk about business in general and my belief in the capital system, the capital Uh, system and the just free economy. And he is a more of a historian. He teaches actually history at a a top prep school in the Montgomery County area of uh, uh, Maryland. And when we have these conversations, one of the things he always gives me a hard time about is not having a job. He said, you don't have a job. I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't have a paycheck. I said, what's the difference? But I don't have a job or a paycheck. I, I do run a business. He said, I couldn't wake up with the uncertainty of not knowing how much money I was going to make. And we've kicked that topic around for years. And the first thing I say well dude, this is your fault. Like you put me on this path. So how are you gonna sit here and <laughs> critique how I make my bread when, when you you push me down that aisle? But on a more serious note, what I tell him, and and it's all love, you should hear I, I would charge money for someone to be a fly on the wall of me and one of this cat's conversations because it gets so deep and rages over so many topics, but When we talk about the paycheck and our difference of view on it i told him i said you see a paycheck as a floor as a safety net as something that no matter what you do what happens you won't go below i said i look at a paycheck and i see a ceiling i see no matter what i do that's as much as i'm going to get and i don't want a ceiling you know my first job out of temple university At that point in time i already had two little girls and it was just time to get a job so i took the first thing smoking which was a job at ford motor credit company went in there first day with the wall street journal tucked under my arm thinking this is my entry point to becoming the cfo of ford so i get in there first of all i was an hour early and the manager who showed up seven minutes before it was time to start laughed at me and told me don't ever come near that early again (laughs) you know so much for youthful exuberance So, I get up in there and I realized, you know, with a college degree that I was a bill collector. I was a customer service rep, which was a bill collector. I'm calling people about their old Ford Pinto payments at seven o'clock at night while they'd rather be eating dinner. And what I saw was the job was very mundane and there was not a high level of job satisfaction. So, you would see every day people BSing on the job, talking to each other instead of dialing their phone, you know, complaining in the lunchroom. And I saw that on the 15th and the 30th, we all got paid the same thing, even though I'm smiling and dialing all day trying to bang out my branch delinquency report, the BDR, it was called. And I realized, you know, at that age, output doesn't always equal the return and in input that you'll get if you're not in control of the whole economic channel. Mm-hmm. So when you're working for someone else, you're getting a portion of what they allocate of their revenue. You know, I know a big, a big discussion point of late has been the quality of pay. And one of the big arguments is should the WNBA players get paid what NBA players get paid? Mm-hmm. Now, I want to give a, a, a real serious disclosure. Big Tank loves the ladies. Raised <laughs> by my grandma, raised by my mom. My baby sister was the first girl I ever loved. And I have five daughters and three stepdaughters. I'm pro women all day long. With that being said, I, I get risque on your program. <laughs> the pay that your employee base or your labor base gets is a fixed percentage of revenues, like any other expensive business has. So when you're looking at the revenues that the NBA brings in, and let's just say hypothetically it's two billion dollars a year, I don't actually know. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the revenue the WNBA brings in, which from what I understand, they they don't turn a profit. They are actually subsidized by the NBA. If you are doing nothing up but, but running a business and putting that 36% of the revenue should be what we pay labor, how can we say we should have equal pay? We can't. It's not a gender thing. It's not That's a choice. Right. It's just a business function. So with that being said, going back to my understanding of that when I first got hired, I said, you know what? Ford Motor Credit, which is a subsidiary of Ford Motor Corporation, sees the role that I play as worth a certain dollar amount. And they give me some of that dollar in cash compensation, some of that dollar in employee benefits. And that's it. And it's a fixed number that I'm going to earn if I do a great job, a good job or a poor job up until I get reviewed. And I didn't like that for myself. So that's why I moved into the brokerage space, which more so because it let me become my own boss
0: got you you know it's something interesting you said you said that you know you had your degree and you had the job with the title and you realized you were working customer service basically right mm-hmm. so that kind of reminded me i had an experience when i um I, I went and got all my securities license you know series this series that and i recognized when i went to work um for it was a big company Aegon. um and i recognized like i'm a salesperson i like, no i got i got this finance degree i got these securities license and i'm like you know we're, we're, we're basically selling products and a lot of times you know um to be perfectly honest it was we were trained on selling certain products that made a certain commission i'm like i don't like this you know one of the reasons I, I got away from that um but i think it's just interesting sometimes to take a step back and look and say i'm just a customer service rep you know you got your degree and all that and you know they give you the title but when you recognize what it is you're doing um sometimes it can change your perspective so getting back to your story though so when you, when you moved to the brokerage side, um, you said you, you, you worked at uh, Smith Barney?
2: Smith Barney was the first spot. So it's crazy. The day I got hired and brought in, well, I got to tell this story. So I go to my first interview. So Trey had everything set up. His, his girlfriend at the time was still attending Temple University. Smith Barney had a representative at a career day or something recruiting minorities and women for their brokerage program. She grabbed the brochure and told Trey, like, I think this is something Tank could be into because I graduated with a finance degree. I was an actuarial science major before I switched to finance. Everybody knows I'm math and money. So get the get the brochure. I call out sick from Ford Credit. I go interview with Smith Barney, having absolutely zero idea what they do at Smith Barney. Like, no idea. Because when mm-hmm. you know one of Jigga's lines from American Gangster, um, his his song, it says, um, who in the ghetto knows how to be successful? I yeah. need a personal Jesus. Yo, I'm in Depeche mode. Like, you don't know who to look up to. I didn't know what careers in finance even existed. Even when I went into what you pointed out so eloquently is retail sales, is what they called my position as a stockbroker. It's retail sales. I didn't know there were merger and acquisitions, investment banking, hedge fund traders. I didn't know they had these other different career paths that I could have went into, you know, and that's lack of knowledge. That, that's what we're trying to, not trying, that's what we're doing as, mm-hmm. a, as, as a collective. We're spreading this knowledge that that we've gleaned out of this industry now, taking it from Wall Street to Main Street, but down from Main Street to the hood to our mm-hmm. street. That's where this has to happen because had I known as a fourth grader, that I wanted to be a hedge fund manager, I go on a whole different career path. I get more engaged with school, you know, so let me not digress and get on the soapbox with that. So let's go back to Smith Barty. I go in on the interview process. They make the mistake of giving me a math test. You know, I may not be good at a lot of things, but if it has a number with it, I'm at work. Mm-hmm. So the guy is reading the instructions to the math test as I'm finishing and handing it back to him. He's like, oh, okay. and. I go through a seven interview process. I'd interviewed a lot of people. And one of the interviews, they're walking me around the office. So here's the layout, the office, uh, and it's ironic because where I began, I ended up ending up because I was in atrium two in Mount Laurel and ended up, I wanna say 13 years later at atrium one with a different company, but neither here nor there. The way the atrium office was set up, all of the offices surrounded the perimeter of the floor that Smith Barney took. The end part was the operations, and what they call the bullpen. So here I am not even knowing what we do here at this job that you're walking me around to interview at. And he's saying, well, that the manager was an older former football coach. He called everybody kid. He says, okay, kid, so these are our big producers. And you can tell how much money they're doing by the number of glass panes in their window. In, in <laughs> their office. if they got four panes, they're a million dollar producer. Three panes, over 750, two panes, you know, they're." 250 to 500. I'm sorry, 500 to 750. And one pane of glass, they're barely, they barely deserve an office. They're like one, 250 to 500. And I said, okay, cool. You know, I'll start out with the one pane or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Not really paying it too much attention. Then he comes to the bullpen and he says, these people here, they do nothing but drum up leads all day. That was all he said. He left it at that. And so we go, I eventually get hired, get approved. Come back to go to work. I'm waiting for them to walk me to my office and they walk me to the bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, Yeah, this is your cubicle right here. And I'm like, Wait, what? You know, I've seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, like these cats, get yeah. and give them to the people in the office. And he's like, Oh, no, 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 no. The people in the office were here first or whatever. They have a book of business. The people out here are trying to build a book of business. You're calling for your own clients. And I. it was lost on me that that was the process. So now, I'm hired. I'm sitting at the bullpen. I have a training at like two hours later. The day I got hired, first and foremost, was one of the most eye-opening and informative days. First of all, on that particular day, you can Google it, it was the single largest point loss on the S&P 500 and Dow in history. Mm. At that time, now we've had like seven new numbers, but it was, it was as they always like to say, black. It was Black Thursday. I got hired on a was, Thursday. And that was your day starting? That was my first day there. So everybody's wow. looking at it like the new guy's bad luck. But you know, <laughs> the, the new guy was six foot four, 380 pounds. and Tell him that to his face if you want to. So, you know, I get that. But here here's what I here's what I always tell this story when I speak about how I got started or speak about what I learned about finances, because I had a lot of training. I still have training. I have continuing education. I have everything I'm reading. I'm always learning something. But the best training, and I'm I'm sure a lot of people out in the world will agree with this, wasn't formal training. It was that training in a session, that osmosis, that overhearing of things, that witnessing of things. I sat outside of a guy named Brian Carton's office on the day that the Dow was having its single largest point drop in history at that point. And Brian Carton was your typical what you think of when you think of a stockbroker, white guy, Monogrammed, uh suit and shirt, uh, cufflinks, suspenders, hair slicked back, sh- shiny bright shoes, three panes of glass on his window. His door is open. My cubicle is right outside his door. Here's what happened. Client calls him. He gets put through to him. He says, yeah, wait, what? You want to sell everything? You know what? That's a brilliant idea. Why don't you do that? Why don't you sell everything? And I can only hear, of course, his side of the conversation, but you can pretty much yeah. glean what the other person is saying. He said, yeah, why don't you sell everything? He said, because you know what? This morning when I got up to leave the house, I went and I said, I'm hungry. The wife never cooks. So I'm driving. And I said, I'm going to stop at McDonald's. But guess what? All the McDonald's were closed. And then I was very, very upset about that. And I looked down at my gas gauge and I said, damn, my man was out of gas. So I went to go pull over at a gas station, but Exxon, Mobil, Shell, all closed. So I just decided that I'm going to get a cup of coffee instead because I'm about to run out of gas probably have to push my car. But wait, Dunkin Donuts was closed. I figure, you know what? To hell with this. I'm going to go on vacation because the world is shutting down. I called Disney to take the kids to Disney. Nobody's answering because Disney's closed. <laughs> and so I guess the guy is, is a really good client is and a long time client and knows what type of jerk he's dealing with. So the guy must be saying, yeah, I see you're overexacting." He said, exactly. He said, none of that happened. The world is still going on. So stop worrying about a 500-point drop in the market and do what I tell you. And he hung up on him. Oh. <laughs> I was like, you could do that to people? Like, like, wait. And he hung up on your man. And then he comes out and he says, hey, how are you? I'm Brian Carton. And I was like, wow, this dude's crazy. But that was the first experience of client interaction in financial services that I ever had, like witnessing that call. and. Wow. You know, so I go on, I get my series seven, series 63, series 65, they sent you at the time, Smith Barney was owned by Travelers, uh, Sandy Wild, Travelers owned them. He, his headquarters were in Hartford, Connecticut. So you had to go up to Hartford to train. I did all of that. And I was blessed, man. I got my production license on March 3rd, 1998. So my class was 9803. Day one, boom, million dollar wire into the account. You know, I, I head on assets. Then you know I used to bodyguard boys to men. I knew a lot of entertainers. I was bodyguarding a woman that was worth eighty million. I didn't realize at the time that this is the funny part of my life. I didn't realize at the time that the minimum account size at Smith Barney for a for a money a managed money account was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Here I am. I grew up on food stamps from Western Southwest Philly. How am I going to open any accounts? I don't know nobody with two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But You know, God takes care of kids and fools, so I must be a fool because I was too old to be considered a kid. (laughs) My career path to that point, even from breaking my leg at Temple, when I broke my leg at Temple, the athletic department put me in the academic advisement tutoring role. And I was the only tutor who could tutor any math and all business topics who wasn't Asian or Indian. So I got all of the basketball players. And this was in the nineties when we were number one in the nation or number three in the nation, we were always dope in basketball. And it was the year our football program had three good years back to back when we got into the big East. So I say that to say we ended up putting probably collectively between football and basketball, about 11 people into the respective pro leagues. Then when they found out I'm managing money, like, Oh, tank the smart dude from school. Yeah, he can have some bread. And I ended up building a cachet of athlete clients. And what I, Yeah, what I found is when you have athlete clients, I don't know why this is the way it is. It's this way to this day. When you have athlete clients, now the dentists, the lawyers, the CEOs, they all want to be your client as well because they want to be able to tell their people, my guy manages money for professional athletes. I don't know yep. why that's an attractive thing to say, but it, it apparently is. So you know,
0: that goes to what we were just saying about those relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so you both not even recognizing you were doing that, you were just put in front of them because you can help them tutor in math and certain uh, subjects. But that ended up paying dividends for you later in life. And that's what we talk about. Like, you know, relationships are currency. You know, you were able to go back on that. And 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 that brought you kind of success in your business. I think that's a, that's an amazing story.
2: I appreciate that. And 100%. And even so, the relationships part is unequivocally accurate and correct. And and I still, to this day, get more from my Rolodex than anything else that I do. But the other part of that is, and I tell this to kids, my kids and other kids that I speak to, you never know what the job or the place you are dealing with in life right now is preparing you for. So Mm -hmm. when I was at Ford Motor Credit, got to go back there, calling people on the phone, collecting car notes, getting banged on in the most unique of ways, hearing curse words I didn't know yet. <laughs> what I got from that experience were some great telephone skills. I, I tell people all the time, if you can speak and keep someone who's four months behind on their card note, who's about to be repossessed, you're trying to find out where they are. You can keep them on the phone for 16 minutes, having a conversation like everything is sweet you can sell $500,000 in municipal bonds in, in a cold call. Like, I learned such great phone skills and coping skills and conversational linguistics, so to speak. And what I did realize also, though, was although I was learning that stuff on the phone, that's what, you know, Stephen Covey refers to as the personality ethic. What I realized was that the underlying principles of tank never changed, which is the character ethic. And I empathize with the people getting their car repossessed because they repossessed my mom's car when I was young. Mm-hmm. I empathized with the person with the baby screaming in the background while they're trying to talk to me about being passed through on their car note because I was barely making $30,000 a year, which side note, when I was young, you couldn't tell me that if I got a job making $30,000 a year that I wasn't to work, like that That yeah. wasn't
0: all it took. it's amazing amazing how that happens. And then you say, Oh "Oh, man, if I could could just get to 50 and you get to 50 and say, man, I need to get to a hundred. And then no matter where you at, you always look at it. Like, how would I do that?
2: Like Buster say, even though I got some, you can give me some more. Like, it's just, I couldn't get it done with 31,000 at all. And I'm, I'm empathizing with this, this professional on the phone with me, like, Hey, what you want me to do? I, I don't have it. And I'm not yelling at them because I've I've listened to my mom take that call. I took that call. So I got a lot of empathy because that's in my character. And then when I move on to now going from poverty type of calls to prosperity type of calls, the skill set and the person that I am would come through on these calls. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't do a lot of cold calling, but when I did, I opened accounts and I feel as though I opened accounts because who I was came across in a phone call in a way that for other people, they just sound like that reading of the script drone type of boiler room person. And I never sound like that. So that was that was the early years of Smith Barney. Uh, What was great about money. So I tell people this. I feel like Pookie and New Jack. Money got me hooked early. I went from making thirty thousand six hundred dollars at Ford Motor Credit with overtime. In 1997, to coming out of the training program, or or actually still kind of in the training program in '98 at Smith Barney, and in one month, it was August of '98. I ended up getting a check or a deposit to my checking account after taxes, after 401k, after benefits of thirty-four thousand dollars. I had had a crazy month the month before.
0: Yeah, whole annual salary at the other job.
2: One month, it was a wrap. I'm, I'm like, I never want to leave this place. Like this is, this is who I am now. And you know, I had a paradigm shift as to what was possible for my life. And you know, one of the first things I saw was a, a quote from Zig Ziglar, and I've said this a lot. It's, it's one of those things that stick with you. Uh, when I first got to Smith Barney, it said, "If you give enough people what they want, you'll get everything you
0: want." Get everything you want. Yep. Everything.
2: And that's where I think. It wasn't so much about me making thirty thousand some odd dollars that month in one deposit. It was the month before how many lives I changed and helped with the financial products I bought to bear on 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 their portfolios mm-hmm. and how it paid me a dividend. And but I do want to really address what you were saying about the being a salesperson of product, because that was my point of contention with the financial services industry. Okay. When I left Smith Barney, I was recruited away by Payne Weber. They gave me a quarter million dollars to come there. I'm still speechless to this day. I've made millions of dollars since then, millions. Mm-hmm. But I still remember the kid who was turning 30 who had a check in his... That one, they gave me the check because I tried to cash it and nobody would cash it. I had to deposit it because I wanted to take the money, put it on the bed and roll around on it. <laughs> and nobody would cash the $240,000 check. Back then TD Bank was still Commerce Bank and Commerce mm-hmm. wouldn't cash my check. So I had to deposit it. That was sad, but that was that. That was that. So 240,000. I'm like am I worth this? This is what I'm worth? It was crazy. I go to Payne Weber. At this point I might have, I don't know, 14, 15 NFL, NBA clients I'm managing an endowment, a college endowment that has $86 million in it. Um, I was doing my thing. And when my athletes, they had maybe collectively about $10 million in the money market. And this is back when money market rates were four and a half percent. So mm-hmm. they don't all right. They're not mad at it. My manager calls me into the office one day and he says, hey, you got a lot of money in cash at a time where we're in one of the best bull markets. Bull markets, I know your audience is educated, yeah. but stock market going straight up he said we're the, one of the strongest bull markets we've seen in a long time this is when the tech bubble hadn't burst yet he said why are all your guys on the sideline i said oh my guys don't really rock with the stock market like that i'm teaching them i'm talking to them but it's not they don't know bill gates they're not comfortable with that cat. what they are doing is buying five abandoned buildings on their block and renovating them and selling them they're helping their grandma open up a hair salon and they're keeping half the profits one of my dudes i got a meeting with subway next week he wants to buy two subway franchises the hoagie spot and my manager is like staring at me with his mouth open. And I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, you can't do that. I said, I can't do what? He said, you can't tell people what to do financially. Huh? I pulled my card out. My, my card says I'm a financial consultant. He says to me, point blank. He says, and everybody calls me Tank. He called me Tank. He's a Tank. Your job is to sell stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and insurance. That's your job. I said, I thought my job was to help my clients financially. He said, if it helps them financially, all the better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ouch! Yeah, oh. If it helps them financially, all the better, but that's not your job. Your job is to sell these products. And I was like, then I don't know if this is the place for me. And, and to his credit, he said, I don't know if this is the place for you, but he never said it in a way of I'm going to snitch on you or I'm going to get you fired or I'm I'm letting you go. He saw my my intent. He knew these cats were my people. He watched, you know, the athletes from the Eagles who I had and Sixers come into the office. He saw how we beat it up and everything like he knew these were my guys. So he's like, maybe this isn't for you. I said, yeah, maybe it's not. And I went home and I thought about it and I made five phone calls that night to my five. What I figured were my closest clients. And I asked them, I said, look, I'm thinking about leaving Payne Weber and I want to manage all areas of your finance because I'm being told that I'm breaking the laws of my licenses, telling you, and, and he made, he. it was more to the conversation. He really educated. me. He's like, look, dude, you tell somebody to buy a piece of real estate. They, and I did this myself. So I'll use one of my own examples. I bought a piece of property on a, a Salford Street, 350 North Salford in 2001, bought it for 4,000 bucks." put $8,000 in it to renovate it. It was a duplex. I rented it for a year and got two rents. And then I sold it for $71,000 or $68,000, some, some crazy number. And that's what was happening back then. And mm-hmm. it's better now, but that's what was yeah. happening back then. So I'm helping guys do that. And he's like, what if that happened? And instead of $71,000, the guy got $62,000, still made a bunch of money. But one of his friends tells him that he could have got seventy-one. dollars He's going to sue you. And more importantly, he's going to sue Payne Weber. And we can't have that even though you did right by him, because you're helping him do something financially that your license doesn't cover. And I understood it. I'm an intelligent cat. I quickly got it. And I understood the risk and the exposure. So like I said, I went home, I make these phone calls. I tell these guys, hey, look, everything I've been doing for you, I want to keep doing for you. Furthermore, I want to help you hire somebody like me, because I'm going to relinquish all of my licenses. I'm going to take the conflict of interest out of our relationship. When I come to you and say you should buy 500 shares of a particular stock, you know you should buy it because I don't get any money when you buy it. It's just what's best for you. Right now, as a stockbroker, you don't know if I'm just trying to put some shoes on my daughter when, when I call mm-hmm. you. that call. So I'm going to take all that out the way. I said, how much would you pay me to serve in this role for you? And it was crazy because I called five people, not enough time between phone calls for them to talk to one another, but all five of them gave me the same figure. They all said they would pay me $50,000 a year to do that job. So I'm like, five times 50 is 250. I'm a stockbroker with maybe 300 clients, although the 80 20 rule was in full effect, where I got 80% of my revenue from only 20% of my mm-hmm. clients. Um, so I'm making maybe 140 at the brokerage firm. I said, this is a no brainer. Five clients, I'm, I'm doing it. So I call them back, always the under promise, over tank dude I try to be. I say, why don't instead of 50, you pay me 30 and 10% of whatever I make you or help you save. Everybody was it. So now I have five clients with 150 grand guarantee, 2500 a month. I bring my sales assistant with me. So I'm paying her 30,000. So I'm getting 120 plus 10%. I'm working from home. I'm golfing every day. It was a great life. And I later would realize, you know, the flaw in my business plan was when you have 300 clients and somebody leaves, you don't notice. When you have five clients and somebody leaves, car note don't get paid
0: that's, that much. That's, that's a huge part of it, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, so you know, I merged my practice with a cat in Philly who was working with entertainers, uh, my boy, Sean G, who's now running Urban Music at Live Nation. He actually founded the division. And Sean G was doing what I was doing, but also doing tour management for artists. Anything out of Philly, Sean G was all over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's uh, cousins with Black Thought and the Roots. so. He had the roots, he had Jill, he had, you know, he just signed Kanye and we merged our companies and formed the sports and entertainment financial group. And it took off from there, man. I signed some big name athletes that same year we signed Kanye on the music side and it just went crazy. And the profile just grew. But Sean is a better businessman than me always has been. I'm a, I'm a better financial advisor, but he's a better businessman. And he was the one to pull my coat to the fact that he said, my guys can sing and rap till they're 90. Your guys can play ball short window. He said, so you have to keep turning your client base over to stay in business mm-hmm. and, you know, speeding through my story to get to the end. That was what got me out of working with athletes because I didn't want to work with athletes. I thought I did because all my clients were athletes. But what I wanted to work with were my homies. My homies just happened to be athletes. Athletes, got you. When they aged out the sport, and I had to start recruiting and bringing in younger athletes to stay in business, I really I don't like these cats. You know, my <laughs> life suffered. Like well, let me they ask you a question
0: good. about that, right? <laughs> because <laughs> what, what is the most difficult part, right? So you you work with entertainers and athletes. So what is the most difficult part about um in, in your business that being your client? What is like the most difficult part? Is it is it them not taking advice? Is it you know because we always hear the stories about athletes and entertainers going broke. From your perspective, what is the, like, the most difficult part about working with them?
2: Neck and neck with taking the advice and then secondly, valuing the advice. You know, there's in, in business and in, in your home, whether it's with your siblings, your mom or your, lo- your, your significant other, you want to be appreciated. And I found with the clientele that I was getting, they didn't appreciate what I did. They, you know, now if I if I save a client one twelfth of one percent they're sending me gift cards, wanting to buy me dinner. They they understand, like, yo, you. I can show them on the graph, this is how much money you make. But when you're getting a check for $8 million a year, this was back when contracts were that that size, $8 million, $7 million, $12 million a year, and I tell you, I'm going to help you put an extra $10,000 consistently in your accounts because we're not doing this over here. Okay, Tank, whatever. And what was happening was, you know, I'm, I'm learning that I'm running a business. I'm not just a business manager for my clients. I'm running a business. I need consistency of revenue and things of that nature. And I would have clients who I served 24-7 call me up one day, like, yo, I got to let you go. And and I had such, it, it's crazy, because I had such a good relationship with my clients. I had clients fire me while they were saying, let's go, you know, away next weekend. Like, like <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like, yo, I can't, I can't work with you no more, Big K. We, you know, we going to the script club next Thursday. Though you gotta come. <laughs> what? I can't afford a lap dance now. You just fired me. Like no. it was crazy. Like I didn't, I didn't draw that boundary, and and what would happen was, people started to expect the relationship and the the business to to not be related, so to speak, in one aspect, but be very related in another. I I remember one of my clients firing me. Hilarious. They were playing the Lakers, so they were on the West Coast. I'm in bed sleep. I get a call what had to have been like 1.30 my time. The dude puts me on the phone with the guy he wants to replace me with because that guy's financial professional, lived in LA. My client was getting traded to LA. He was, they just played a game. He's getting traded to LA. It was already news. And he wanted his financial person to be as cool and close and take them out for dinner and drinks and cigars after the game as this dude. Nothing financially had to do with it. It was just, this dude is going to pro- provide me with a better experience than, I, than I'm getting with you. And I think at the time that client was paying me like $3,600 a month. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm about to not have forty three thousand bucks now because you want to go have cigars with this cat. I can't run a business like that. I got to. Do- I'm gonna tell my daughter next week, like you know. So it was the inconsideration, and then even the ones who weren't inconsiderate or who didn't not appreciate you, they just wouldn't listen. Yo, I'm gonna buy this Bentley. There's nothing you can tell me. I'm buying this Bentley, and I'm getting you know this chain and this Rolex and. It was just, it was, it was stressful, man. And,
0: and yeah, I can imagine. I, I was going to ask you that, like oh, the, the stress levels, because I know that when um, ESPN did that, uh, that broke series, like a mm-hmm. lot of folks that opened the eyes of a lot of folks, but for you, you probably were like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah,
2: that's, that's normal, like normal operating procedures with these cats. And it was just the, I think the biggest thing that ever happened to me that opened my eyes that I couldn't do this anymore was with a client who was probably my highest profile client at the time and he was about to sign a new contract he was coming off his rookie contract and about to sign it's like a six-year almost 100 million dollar contract in the nba and i loved his agent his agent was a great agent one of the best ever and his agent had the top players in the league could have, from a networking standpoint could have made me big time referring me people how much i love my clients and how I, how I do for my clients i call i tell the client like look agent's great but he's about to get four percent of a hundred million dollars that's four million dollars for the next six years. That's basically six hundred and some odd thousand dollars a year. You could go out and hire a Fortune, hire a Fortune one hundred CEO, and pay them less than that. So I think we need to talk to him about taking a cut down to two percent, three percent. He said, "Okay, Tank, if you think so." So I call the agent. I tell him that agent, to his credit, cool as a fan. You know what, Tank? You're right. Two percent it'll be. So now. I'm never getting any referrals from him. You're not going to refer somebody, your clients who cuts your fee, but I'm doing what's right for the client. That's how much I love my clients. I didn't, I would have loved to been this dude's right hand, go-to financial guy to refer business to, but I love my client more. So I get the fee from 4% to 2%. So now the fee is 2 million over six years instead of 4 million over six years. My client at Christmas time of that Christmas tells me, I feel bad that we cut blah, blah, blah's fee. He likes watches. I'm buying him this IWC watch. It was a $20,000 watch. I'm buying a watch and I'm sending it to him. Okay, cool. All I could think was I'm getting a Bentley or something. like. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> people bought a watch and I'm getting a Bentley. Yeah, I, I saved, saved
0: the money. Yeah.
2: I got, a I think, a $75 or $50 gift card to Ruth Chris. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm fat. I love the steak that I bought. Don't get me wrong. But you. to see yeah, how man. he valued me versus that
0: dude, I was done. Got you. Got you. So so let me ask you a question, right? You had this, this, this journey. Um, you're working with professional athletes or what have you. you you're, you're finally getting to where uh, you want to be um, throughout this amazing journey. What was the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome you know coming from southwest philadelphia as you said uh, you know growing up on food stamps to now managing millions and millions of dollars and working with high profile clients what has been the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome
2: great question and i have an immediate answer doesn't require any thought because i deal with this answer every day it's my own self-limiting beliefs you know i still deal with that every day i suffer from the imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. i I quite often feel as though all of the act I was teaching a training class at New York Life, which was the last uh, retail shop that I worked in from 13 to 19, 2013 to 2019. I'm teaching a class of young advisors, young agents. And, you know, I'm just talking to them about confidence and how hard the career is, but you can make it. And I said, yeah, every day I doubt myself every day. I don't think I, I think I made the last sale I'll ever make last week. And the guy was like, I said, I said, I just been really blessed and really lucky. And the guy said, tank, nobody's lucky for 20 years. And I was like, "Mm, okay, but I didn't see it that way. I still to this day think that if Trey Johnson hadn't been my best friend and put me in the sports and then if I wasn't big and other athletes felt comfortable around me because they felt like I was their homie who didn't make it and let's do business with them. If I wasn't somebody that everybody who works with feels as though they're doing a favor or something, then I wouldn't be in the business. And who can think like that? Like my clients tell me point blank, you are the smartest cat we've ever met. Like I have clients who now I've moved from athletics to small business owners and academics and C-suite executives. I talk to CEOs. Uh, One of my clients is the head of an Ivy Leaf uh, schools education, one of the colleges. And they tell me time in and time out, you are the smartest person we've ever been around. And I still don't believe it half the time. And when I sit here and look at what I think money is, so we talked about me thinking 30,000 earlier would have been some money now that i've made you know i think i've averaged somewhere between 250 and 750 a year for the last 25 years i thought that was money and then i was at a new york life event a couple of years back in manhattan and one of the other agents who his dad was an advisor before him he got the business passed down to him he does like 2-3 million a year he had had some agents out to his house to drive his vintage car collection and then ride his horses and i realized oh i don't have no money it's like level, <laughs> you know? it's level. Yeah. What, what, you know, like Jigga said, what you call money, I pay more in taxes. And Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I have to stop believing that this has is I made it. And really, 10 million a year is reasonable for me now. So I can hype myself up and say that. But is there some form of cognitive dissonance in me that says as much as I may promote to the world and even say in affirmations that I'm a yacht dude, a private jet dude, a 10 million dollar a year dude? Do I really internally believe that and do my actions align with what I think I want? And that's what I struggle with every day. That's a hurdle. That's still difficult for me to
0: get over. Man, that's an amazing answer. It yeah. is also, uh, it's very, very powerful to be self-aware, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. What do you get to say, Corey? Therapy since I was six. <laughs> yeah. I was just
1: saying like, yeah, like the, the level, I was about to say that the level of awareness that it takes to know that, you know, your self-limiting belief is the thing that is holding you back. Like, that's 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 an amazing level of self awareness because, you know, I'm not aware of what's going on around me in the world a lot of times. You know what I mean? In my, in my experience, and then to have, you know, you have outside people keep telling you these things, and then it, it becomes a reality for you. And so that that's the that's the that's the value and power of relationships. Again, no doubt. so again, like. That your self realization came from the realization that the people around you do value you in a way right. that you didn't value yourself, and so yeah. that amazing, amazing uh, re- revelation and realization.
0: And I something, yeah. and I think that's that resounds throughout this entire episode is the power of the relationship, but also um, you talked about who you are as a person and your empathy, and I think that has a lot to do with your success as well. So a lot of times we look at success and we look at success with like, you know, we measure it by dollars or what have you. But your journey as you're telling your story to me is about relationships and how you've been able to cultivate these relationships. Because, again, that's value right there. And you do right by your people. You talked about that as well. Always doing right by them, even when it costs you. Right. So to me that right there is why you're successful because you always do right by people and you've and you cultivate and value those relationships to the point where they can fire you and still want you to come to the street come (laughs) to the cookout (laughs) and and bring some sodas (laughs) listen man you've been generous with your time i got a couple more questions before we get out of here the last one do you have a book or something that has inspired you what's your favorite book or something that's inspired you along this journey
2: My favorite book is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. I think everybody should read that book. So, you know, and I'm wordy and I know we both got to run. So I'm trying to be brief with my wordy answer. When I started putting my kids in sports, I put them all in soccer, knowing or hope, not even hoping that they wouldn't be making it in soccer, but never expecting them to make it in soccer. But why soccer? Because every other sport that you'll ever play, soccer is the base for it. You know, endurance, speed hand-eye coordination, all of the things you need to do in sports. Soccer is the base for it. I tell business students, whether it's accounting, finance, marketing, human resource, take economics. Economics is the language of business. You can't speak business if you don't understand economics. So these are two things that are bases, mm-hmm. bases and foundations. In my humble opinion, I've read, read and listened to hundreds of books. I got five going right now. The Four Agreements is the base and the foundation for everything else that you'll ever pour into yourself. It lets you know that first and foremost, you're not who you think you are. That's the first thing that book, before it even goes into what the Four Agreements are, it lets you, it makes you, to to what Corey said, it makes you aware that by the time you get to your 20s and you start to self-actualize, you realize nothing about who I am did I choose. I didn't choose my name. I didn't choose the fact that I speak English or was born in America. I didn't choose the fact that, you know, I walk this way, talk this way. Everything that I am, somebody else poured into me, my mom, my teacher, my environment. So now that I know that, oh, the choice and the freedom is mine to determine what I keep in the stew and what I pour out. Mm. That blew my mind. Like, is an acronym in business, BGO, blinding glimpse of the obvious. What I said after I say it or after you read it, everybody's like, yeah, that makes sense. But no one's thinking that until they read it or hear it. Like, wait, I didn't make me up. Somebody yeah. else made me up.
0: I got to revisit that because that's one of those books that I read a long time ago, and um, I know for a fact I didn't. Sometimes you go back and read books. You read books as you get older, and you and I you realize like, oh, that okay, that did. hit a little different. I yeah.
1: didn't take that away when I read it. So I got to now. I, gotta, now, I gotta, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm I'm jumping on that today. Yeah, so the first um, part
2: of the book before it even gets to the four agreements, you yeah, got to definitely yeah. gauge that perspective.
0: Now, um, last question I have for you before we get you out of here is, um, you know, you, you told us your story, which is amazing. Um, what is the future for your business? What what, what do you uh, plan on doing in the future?
2: So Wealth Our Way is a financial literacy platform as much as it's a financial planning firm. And we have four levels. So all my clients that I've had over the years and the clients that they refer, their financial planning clients of the highest level, I have a mastery level and a transitional level to mastery. They pay thousands of dollars a month to get advice from Big Tank. I have a developing level, which is teaching people how to get up that ladder. But Wealth Our Way was formed for the foundational level. The foundational level is cats that can barely balance a checkbook, may not know a debit from a credit, but they need to know. And I'm creating on a subscription basis a platform online. But unlike your do-it-yourself platforms where it's all up to you, you get a dedicated advisor. I want to close the racial wealth gap. Same, Same mission you cats are on. Mm -hmm. And I know I can't do it by myself. So a large portion of what Wealth Our Way is, is we're taking African-American advisors who fail out of the industry because they can't meet sales quotas or they don't like the selling of products. We're giving them a home and I'm training them on a platform that they can go back into their communities and not be pressured with commissions. They can literally just give advice unfettered through a subscription-based platform. Now, here's the beauty of it. The platform started at $79 a month. I just this year dropped it to forty seven dollars a month. In reality, I want that platform to be free. I want, you know, we got all this diversity and inclusion and things going on in our hoods and in, in, in the country that affect us in the hood. I eventually want my foundational platform to be financed by the J.P. Morgans and the Goldman Sachs and the people who are saying they want to help us, <laughs> so that. Clients can come on and get this financial literacy. They can come on and go through Wow University, which is our uh, partnership with the National Education Financial Council. They can get an advisor helping them review all of their insurances. We don't sell the products you buy. We make the products you buy better. We put you with the right people or we review the people you have. It's a whole thing that you, when you walked in the doors of Smith Barney and Payne Weber, you paid me 20 30 40000 for. I want to give it to people for free. and i'm dropping the price until i can so 79 to 47 happened this year and as soon as we get some funding on that foundational level it's free like that's what i want people to be so right now this where the show we're going to when, when you come through 15 minutes of finance is me going on every day and giving the tidbits to people who don't know about the platform yet to know to visit it and subscribe they're getting this information disseminated to them through uh youtube and
0: facebook right now Man that's amazing man and 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 <clears throat> congratulations and also um yeah. you know just want to say that listen kudos to you for doing that and bringing the, the knowledge to our folks you I appreciate that I mean? that's, bro. that's yeah. very important man
1: you you doing the work the actual work
2: <laughs> like yeah we there. need it, man, because we don't know. Like I said, I, I think back to that example about not knowing something as simple as a career path. Like, you know, once again, I, I, I'll i see what other people have said about me. I'm the smartest cat they know. I could have been an investment banker. I have a client who's a hedge fund manager. This dude makes $17 million a year. I could have made $17 million a year. Nobody told me to go that route.
0: Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why we keep this platform. At, well, everything we do, the reason we always come back and do the podcast is because we actually get messages. Like, we had options traders on here, and I always forget this one. I got the message. And someone said, "I didn't know black people traded options." And I'm like, no. <laughs> because a lot, a lot of times we don't know. A lot of times in our community, we just don't know. You know, we don't know that we have astronauts, we have, you know, educators, we have owners of businesses, we have, you know, people, we people like you. Like, we need to know these things because um, representation matters. So listen, um, Tank, I just want to say thank you for your time. We totally appreciate you. We're going to put all the links uh, within the description, um, so the folks can check out what you got going on, what you're building, and support everything you got going on. But like you know. I just want to say thank you. I know how valuable your time is, thank and you. I, I just want to say I appreciate you for coming on our platform because, um, you know, your story is inspiring. It's inspired me, and I'm pretty sure Corey feels the same way. Man, I'm like, he's doing the work. Like he's he's
1: he's putting the other arm. It's like we the left arm, he the right arm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> look, we we putting it together so that the people can really get to where they need to be, and so I'm. Exactly. <laughs> I really, really appreciate everything that you're doing for our communities, man. Yeah. That.
2: Thank yeah. you, brother. Yo, keep keep grinding. I hope they'll come back one day and talk, do a part two down the road. Absolutely. I love you guys, And we're going to all keep doing the same thing and make our people rise yes, up.
0: Yes, absolutely. And for the folks out there watching, please follow everything he's got going on. Um, As we always say, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you keep. Game elevates. And we'll see you guys in our next episode. Peace. Peace.